everybody. Welcome to In La Casa with Sarah Ben and Casa. This is episode 12, episode 12. And this is a very special episode. This is an all advice episode. Now, you may have noticed, if you are a fan of the program, that um, there's been a gap for a couple weeks in shows. And there are reasons for that. One reason is that I was dealing with some family shit. Another reason is that I got sick and was just like not up to interviewing people or doing anything. Um, And a third reason was deadlines. I handed in a second draft and a third draft of a book called DC Trip that hopefully is coming out in November from Adaptive Books. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And I also um, started on the first draft. Well, resumed picked up the first draft of a book that is a self-help book called let's grow up together which actually has something to do with this podcast it's about advice and um it's a series of sort of essays that lay out my vision of the world which is scary and ridiculous and it's it's funny and it's silly and it's loving and it's poignant and it's various different things but it's it's sort of like my love letter to readers and uh with with what with what little wisdom I have acquired in my years on this planet. So it is by no means definitive. I don't know if it's going to cure anyone's ills, but it might help someone feel less alone, which is generally my objective in these matters. So I apologize for not having uh, put out an episode in a while, but I came up with a solution which I think is a good one. I think that in future, when I'm having weeks where it's just too hard to grab a guest or whatever, I haven't stockpiled enough episodes or something comes up, there's a holiday, who knows. I think what I'll do are these all advice episodes. And I can't tell you how long they're going to be. This one could be lengthy, could be not. We'll see how it goes. The next one could be longer, could be shorter. I don't know. I mean, generally our episodes with guests last like about an hour, anywhere from... 40 minutes to an hour. Some are a little longer, some are a little shorter. Um, With the all advice episodes, I don't know. But I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. And I think it serves the needs of the listenership, uh, which is great. And you can always email me advice questions to add to the docket. Your anonymity is assured unless you insist upon being identified. It is Sarah, S-A-R-A, at sarahbenincasa.com, S-A-R-A-B-E-N-I-N-C-A-S-A.com, Sarah at sarahbenincasa.com. I say Sarah and Sarah. (laughs) I don't know which one I'm supposed to say. When I'm feeling very Jersey, I was hanging out with Nikki Levy, um, who is a producer and storyteller and former studio executive and many different things. Um, I was hanging out with her at a restaurant here on the Upper West Side yesterday and we were talking about family and life and all kinds of things and and when I said my I said for some reason I said my own name I don't know why I said Sarah she was like oh my gosh you say it the right way because she's from Queens and I'm from Jersey and so when I introduced myself I'm like hi I'm Sarah how you doing (laughs) and but Sarah is different Sarah is sort of how I pronounce it when I am speaking formally in some way or performing in some way I'm probably not going to say Sarah I'm going to say Sarah I don't know guys I don't know um all right so other good things that have been happening I got to interview someone I really admired recently and you will I'm not supposed to talk about it so you'll find out more um in the future (laughs) 
<laughs> but it was for Bust Magazine, um, which I can say, I think. I write things for them. I did their Lizzie Kaplan cover story a few months back. I did a story with Jill Soloway for them, and I'm doing various other things with them. So this is a story for Bust, and it was with somebody I admire very much, and that is all I shall say about it at the moment. Um, I had a bit of a scare the other day with a different thing. I was transcribing an inter, or I got an interview transcribed. I had interviewed someone for um, an article, and this person um, happens to be transgender, and so the transcriber listed me at the end of the transcription. I read through the whole thing. It was about 27 pages long. And the transcriber listed me as having said, thank you, ma'am, to this person who is a female-to-male transgender individual. So basically that I had, you know, we, I talked to this person about what it's like to, to transition and all these different things and, you know, being a man, becoming a man feeling like a man on the inside always knowing that she he was a man see there we go knowing that he was a man even when the rest of the world said she and even when he said she and so all this stuff was this really rich wonderful conversation about about you know one person's experience of transitioning from female to male and at the end of the transcription it said that that I said well thank you (laughs) ma'am and I was horrified I was freaking out I was like, because I just feel like it's so rude. It's such a denial of someone's identity. It would have been an honest mistake had I made it. I did not make it (laughs) because I don't think of this person as a woman. This is a guy. This is a man. It doesn't matter that maybe we were born with different parts. Like this person is a man. And so I looked at the transcript and I didn't say, thank you, ma'am. I said, thank you, ma'am, man. I said, thank you, man. Like, I literally said, thank you, man. Thanks, man. Like, I would to people, you know? And and the person didn't quite hear it. I know N and M sound quite similar, so it sounded like I said, thank you, ma'am. But thank God I listened to the tape because I was just, I was so nervous. I felt like it was so insulting, you know, to this person who has worked so hard to live his true life and be his authentic self and you know what I know I'm over I'm sure I'm being over dramatic I'm sure he actually would have like laughed at me or picked up on it and noticed it you know he's a a, a smart self-aware patient loving individual but yeah that <sighs> threw me for a loop um well anyway let's get into the advice um I sent out a I, I signaled to the world that um, I was going to do this all advice episode. And of course, we do the Kepler on campus advice segment in every single episode of this here program. And so this is like an entire Kepler on campus advice episode, really. Um, They contribute to the Patreon. It is Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Sarah Ben and Casa. And they contribute to the Patreon at a level, which is $100 a month, that uh, where, where the prize, the prize, if you will, is that you get to have a segment on the program named after you, and you get to help plan what that segment is going to be. And so with Kepler on Campus Speakers, we decided that it would be uh, advice. And so here we go. Uh, we are doing a, a, an all-advice 
segment in the form of an all advice episode. So let me just logging in here. My computer was just like, I'll fall asleep. You're babbling too much about pronouns and being concerned about insulting people. So I'm going to go to sleep here. All right. Somebody, um, you know, you can get at me on Twitter at Sarah J. Benincasa. There is sarahbenincasa.tumblr.com. There is sarahbenincasa.com, where you can email me at sarah at sarahbenincasa.com. There's a lot of different ways. You know, Instagram is Sarah J. Benincasa. So many places, so many exciting places to have a chat. Well, I was chatting um, with a friend of mine who I'm going to call Kyle. And he reached out when I had tweeted it out that I was going to do this, this, this all advice episode. And he, Kyle said to me, I don't have a question, but I'd appreciate a reminder to your listeners. Give yourself time alone after a breakup. Because man, I didn't. And my subsequent relationship left me totally mind fucked because I couldn't determine my boundaries. And the one after that had a Paul cast on it by the mind fuckery of the previous one. Now I'm single and reveling in the knowledge that I'll be involved with someone somewhere down the line. But now is for me. And I just thought that was so profound because I said, oh my gosh, Kyle, I've done this so many times. I relate so deeply. It's like you're always chasing the ghost of the old relationship. I've done this a lot. Um, in my own life, you know, not taking a break when I should have going from one person to the next person, to the next person, to the next person in constant need of affirmation, validation, something that feels like love. And if you relate to this, just know that you're not alone because Kyle's a pretty freaking cool person and I'm pretty rad too. So that's at least two pretty cool people who can completely relate to you. I think that it's really difficult to sit with the anxiety of being by oneself, especially when, you know, we live in this culture that's so go, 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 date, 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 be with people, be with lots of people, be with so many people that your head is about to explode, be with people you love, be with people you don't love, be with people you care about, be with people you don't care about, doesn't matter, as long as you're with people. I mean, I've been there, haven't you? I don't know, maybe not. You know, maybe you, the listener, are a pretty confident person who's got your shit together. I absolutely respect that and think it's amazing. (laughs) I think it's fantastic. And I am super proud of you. (sighs) But man, um, I think during, one thing I've noticed during times when I've been single and not wanted to be, because there are times when I've wanted to be and times when I've not wanted to be, um, touch is really important. And sometimes I've sought that by just hooking up. And there are other ways to do it, like, you know, hugging a friend. It's maybe not as fun as an orgasm, but it's still helpful. Going to get regular massages. It's not that the the pleasure or the experience has to be sexual. That's not what I'm, there's no like happy ending involved. What, what I go for is the experience of being touched. That is really, really important to us human beings. The experience of being touched and loved. It's important to a lot of animals. You know, you see animals grooming each other sometimes. And yes, there is an, an actual um, cleanup effect that happens. And that's really wonderful. But also, 
it, it it's that sense of touch that sense of communion that sense of closeness not being alone in the world it's very loving and it you know it releases endorphins and it releases dopamine and all those other good happy chemicals that are stimulated when something lovely is happening Ooh, you know what else i love to do and this goes into our next question actually the ne- uh, well i'll tell you what the next question is so but we've established that you do need to take you do, you need care during the time when you're single it just being single doesn't exempt you from the desire for love and companionship but you can obtain that in different ways and i would emphasize platonic love friendship i would emphasize that during that time and also masturbation is really great it's not that you need to be celibate or not be sexual in any way shape or form but I am telling you from my experience, do as I say, not as I've done. Jumping right into a new thing is bad news bears because it, you're not over the last thing. You're constantly chasing the ghost of the last relationship. It's not fair. I, I don't believe to the person you've hooked up with, who you're trying to date. You know, maybe they're in a different place. They're ready for love. You're not, but they're with you because they're hanging out because they're hoping you come around. It just sucks. You know, I've been in both sides of that situation I've been on every side of that situation and it, it just sucks so I'm not preaching here I, I'm not on any kind of high horse I couldn't be that would be utterly hypocritical I'm just saying kids do as auntie Sarah says and Kyle me and my buddy Kyle not as we've done the next question is connected Somebody asked me, um, Amanda asked me, what are some unorthodox ways to lower stress? I know for anxiety and stress, I crochet things. Like, a, oh, then she asked if I would like a coaster. <laughs> yeah, I would, dude. Because it takes my mind off things and gives me a feeling of accomplishment when I'm finished. Just wondering what other ideas exist out there. Crocheting is great. Something productive, doing something with your hands, getting an entirely different part of your brain moving and thinking about, about life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness rather than stress, stress, stress. Brilliant. Um, I have a few other ideas. These are the ones that I use. One, deep breathing. Or I should say regular meditative breathing it doesn't have to be that deep um i like the five seven five breath where you breathe in for five we will practice now you hold it for seven and you exhale for five well i could feel my shoulders drop just from doing that the key is to inhale through the nose for five, hold for seven, and exhale for five through the mouth by blowing out air and pushing the air out. So it's as if there is, your diaphragm is, um, you know, as if, as if there's a balloon in, in your abdomen and you're feeling it expand when you inhale, you're holding it for seven, and then when you're exhaling, you're letting the air out of the balloon. You can actually feel your um, abdominal muscles after a while. Get, you, can, you can get like a little bit of a workout from doing it if you do it long enough. Um, repeating the 575 breath as necessary with a little pause in between is really great. Uh, I would encourage you to make sure that you're, you're fit and healthy. You don't have to be f- like super fit or anything, but um, 
you know, if you have issues with, if your, your respiration is compromised in some way, or if you're feeling sick, I don't want you to start to feel lightheaded or anything like that. So I want you to go slowly. That is the key, slow and regular. There is also the four, seven, eight breath. Same thing, inhale for four, hold for seven, out for eight. And make sure that the counts are uniform. So don't go, inhale, one, two, three, four, hold, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, out for eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You're going to feel real weird. Whatever pace you choose has to be consistent. And this is what I've, I've learned from mindfulness training, um, specifically from Dr. John Kabat-Zinn's book, Full Catastrophe Living, which has been a big part of my life for many years. I, I need to reread it. I reread it every few years, and it's wonderful. Um, I also learned that from yoga, there are different, so many different breathing techniques out there. Dr. Andrew Weil talks about this stuff. I really like alternate nostril breathing. And here's what happens. Take your thumb. It looks weird. It looks very weird. So maybe don't do it when people are around. This is my go-to if regular breathing, like if my regular breathing is really shallow and high in my chest and I happen to be in a bathroom or somewhere quiet where I can just kind of get into this. Sometimes I'll do alternate nostril breathing. So you put your, uh, so look at your hand. Hi, hand. Your left hand. There it is. Press your left thumb against your left nostril. So you're, I'm going to sound kind of nasal because I'm only talking through one nostril. I'm only breathing through one nostril. Inhale through your right nostril for four counts. Now hold for five. And as you hold for five, switch so that you've freed up your left nostril, but now you are depressing or uh, uh, closing your right nostril. So you inhaled for four, you held for five. And then you exhale through the left nostril for four. So let's try this. Okay, ready? That was my right nostril. Okay, I'm holding for five. I'm covering up the right nostril and opening the left nostril. And then you do it again. And this time you inhale through the left nostril. You inhaled for four, you close it, you open up the right, you're holding for five, and now. You can also play with, all right, I'm not, st I'm gonna stop doing that because it's ridiculous. But um, you can also play with the lengths. You know, you can try five, seven, five with that. You can try um, four, seven, eight. You can try whatever you want. You can play around with it. Focus on the counting and focus on the sensation of breathing. If you are in the midst of a panic attack, as I was the uh, last week, it sucked. It was a week ago today. I had a panic attack. It sucked. I had it on stage. I was with all these like very impressive young adult writers and children's literature authors. Friggin' me, feeling like an imposter there. I was really low on uh, blood sugar, which is not good because I'm hypoglycemic and I'll pass out. And I hadn't eaten, so I was feeling sick and nasty and twisty and gross. And, um, and I was anxious. I was anxious because I had just had some kind of communication with my mom. I don't know what it was that stressed me out in some way. I don't know what it was. Minor, but I was stressed. I was late. I was in a cab. 
stuck in traffic on the West Side Highway. It was stupid. I should have left more time. There was a lot going on. Anyway, it all adds up to the... And I'm also tapering off of one of my medications. I take Prozac and Abilify, and I'm tapering off Abilify. Slowly, but I am tapering off. So all of these things combined to me sitting up there at the 92nd Street Y in front of like 50 people with these, you know, esteemed authors who are all like bigger bestsellers than I am, right? They're all more famous than I am. So what the, the host of the thing asked... Um, everybody what what do you call your fandoms and I was like my fandoms are they casa monsters I have no idea like I had no idea what to say I was like do I have a fandom what I don't even know so you know I'm stressed I'm feeling out of place I'm feeling like oh god you know and and my publicity team from my publisher is there and they're being so great they got me something to eat and anyway I'm up there I start to have a panic attack I feel like shit feel like I'm gonna throw up feel really thinking about ripping off my microphone and just getting out of there. Not in a dramatic way, but just going, hey guys, not feeling too well. Gotta go, this has been awesome, bye. And embarrassing myself. But I didn't. And one of the reasons I didn't was that I engaged in deep breathing. I did the 575 breath. It was really helpful. I'm sure I was breathing really loudly into my lav mic. Who cares? You know, at a certain point, your health takes precedence. And you have to just say to yourself, if I look weird, fuck it. So if you look weird and you need to do that alternate nostril breathing in public you know I was like joking about it but the truth is fuck it do whatever works just make sure no one thinks you're doing drugs because it's a distinct possibility um and also or that you're picking your nose which would possibly be even more awkward so in short to conclude Deep breathing is wonderfully helpful. Regular breathing. And if you're looking for more breathing techniques, let me see if they've got them. I'm, I'm just typing here. I'm going to look at drwild.com. It just occurred to me that he might have some good stuff. Uh, apparently, does drwild.com not exist? <laughs> Let's look. Let's have this experience together, everybody. Andrew Weil. Yeah. Yeah, drwild.com. It exists. I don't know why it wasn't loading. Um, yes, he has uh, a lot of great... You know, some people don't like him. Some people think he's bullshit, anti-aging diet. They don't like it or the anti-inflammatory diet, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Yes, he endorses herbs and supplements. Um, however, uh, I think that he's built a pretty neat and interesting brand. His stuff is based on good nutrition, good exercise, good breathing. <laughs> so I would, I would check, his, check his stuff out. I enjoy, but he's got a lot of stuff. And uh, among his Q&As, always stuff about breathing. So this leads us into the next uh, bit of exercise that I think, or excuse me, not exercise, but the next thing Amanda and everyone that is an unorthodox way to lower stress because let's say an orthodox way to lower stress would be to drink alcohol smoke a blunt um, sleep like not sleep in a good way but nap in an avoidant fashion which I engage in stuff your face with junk food have sex which can be great great stress reliever very healthy if you if you're if you're choosing it in a healthy manner I think it can be incredibly healthy um Deep breathing is probably like less common. But, he, but here is a really common one, stupid television. Now, television can be really activating. 
So if you're watching things, I think we, we neglect to truly acknowledge just how intense television can be. All of our media. Uh, it's a challenge for me to put aside my phone at night. You'll see me tweeting at Sarah J. Benincasi. You'll see me tweeting at two in the morning. Why? Well, because I'm, you know, laying next to my partner in bed and I can't sleep. And part of the reason I can't sleep is that I'm not giving myself room to sleep because it's so fascinating to just engage with that little device, right? It, it opens up the whole world to you or that's what it seems like. That's an illusion, of course. There's a lot more out there. And the world of dreams is vastly more intriguing than the world of reality sometimes. And, and you could slip away into dream world if only you'd let yourself. But it's addictive, you know, staring at the shiny object is addictive. However, if you need to chill, I had to be taught to relax. I didn't know how. I'm still learning. My partner will teach me different techniques like, hey, Sarah. I mean, I learned from Dr. John Kabat-Zinn. I learned from different psychiatrists, psychologists over the years. My boyfriend teaches me. He had to teach me, this is how you binge watch shows. And I was like, I don't get it. So I just sit and I just watch. But what else do I do? And he was like, you just watch and enjoy them. And I was like, but couldn't I be working? And he was like, yeah, but you're not. And I was like, I don't get it. (laughs) This is not how I'm programmed. So I'm not much of a binge watcher, but I have gotten to a place where I can sit with him when he's watching Columbo and I can enjoy it. I'm usually live tweeting it because it's so, the episodes are amazing, but um, I can enjoy it. And I love Love, love watching Bar Rescue on Spike TV. I am a huge John Taffer fan. This is a show where a man named John Taffer, who is a restaurant and bar consultant, goes into failing bars. I mean, it's totally scripted. Like, they claim it's not, but it's totally scripted. Come on. Like, all reality shows are very scripted. Some more than others. This one is quite obviously scripted. You just look at some of the shots they get, the quotes they get. Like, people are obviously being coached. But you know what? I don't fucking care. I love it. I love it. It's great ridiculous TV. And so I watch John Taffer go into an establishment. Recently, it was a Staten Island dive bar called Rhythm and Bruise. I'll just tell you, things were not going well in that bar. Twin brothers owned it. Younger brother worked there, lived in the basement, slept on the couch much of the time because he was homeless. There was fiberglass in the freezer. Customers were going in and making their own food. At one point, somebody threw firecrackers behind the bar. And executive chef, not of there, but executive chef of various fine restaurants, Josh Capon, was in the surveillance vehicle with Mr. John Taffer and the bartending consultant. And he just said, I have to go in there and save my wife. Because they had sent, they, they send, a lot of times they'll send a wife in as a decoy. Like Taffer's wife, Capon's wife, somebody else's wife. They'll send in as a decoy to see how they're treated in the bar. Inevitably hilarious. Ugh. You, can you tell that I love it? I love this show. It's so dumb. But here's the deal. I actually learned things from it about restaurant management. I learned things about food service. I learned things about what to expect, not what to expect. I learned about how hard it is for food servers. I mean, I knew that anyway. I've never been a waitress. I've worked in food service before, you know, uh, running the cash register, 
um, takeout kind of stuff, coffee, barista stuff, you know, making really simple sandwiches, things like that. But I've never been, I've never been fine dining, waitress, cocktail waitress, anything like that. Never worked in a dive bar, never bartended. So it's just fascinating to me because it's so outside the realm of my expertise and experience. So that is one clue that a show might be great for you. If it's really outside the realm of your expertise and experience so that you can just relax when you watch it because you have no stake. You're not watching it and thinking, oh, I could do that better. or I could do that better. You're not comparing it to your own business. You're not comparing it to your own life. You're simply enjoying it. You're immersed in the world and you're just enjoying it. God, this makes me want to watch Bar Rescue right now. I got a podcast to do, damn it. Ugh. I love this podcast, but I love Bar Rescue. So stupid television can help. Stupid TV can be a way, and that's a pretty common way to lower stress, I think, but it can be quite helpful, but you must control the experience. Okay, yoga and exercise. I suck. I don't exercise enough. I don't, and it's tough. I'm always committing to it and then falling off the wagon, committing to it and then falling off the wagon. I don't suck. I just suck at exercise comes from I mean it's never been a part of my life it's never been encouraged in my life really uh, until now Um, and it is something that uh, I associate with like being shitty at gym class but uh, yoga and exercise are great yoga and other forms of exercise exercise does make me feel great after I do it I feel great it's doing it that's a pain in the ass and sticking with it and then doing it again after the afterglow fades and climbing up that fucking emotional mountain again of, all right, this is going to suck for, you know, 30 minutes, but then for 10 minutes, it's going to feel awesome afterwards or whatever, you know, so the afterglow lasts longer. So yoga and exercise, yes. A walking, walking's a good one. I endeavor to do this more often with my dog, Morley Safer. You know, what? I, I gotta say, getting up early this morning uh, and, and, bringing Morley Safer out felt really good. It was awesome. An early walk can really do it for you. Of course, whenever we pass other dogs, I need to coach her because she is very rude to them and we'll just bark at them. Her, her attempt to play with other dogs is bullying. She's sort of like a kid who goes to the schoolyard and just like yells, play with me at everybody. So nobody wants to play with her um, when she's on the leash. When she's off the leash, it's different. But uh, yeah, anyway, walking is great. There's something very rhythmic to that. Um, John Kabat-Zinn writes about walking meditation a lot. And that's walking meditation is something that uh, exists in religious traditions and faith traditions around the world. Even in, in, in you know, Judeo-Christian traditions, the uh, habit of walking the labyrinth, which certainly comes from, from, you know, it wasn't invented by Jews and Christians. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Walking the labyrinth can be extraordinarily peaceful and, and helpful. You can invent your own labyrinth in, in your neighborhood. Um, but walking can be a really, really, even if you drive to walk, drive somewhere to take your walk. It's a great thing. Herbal tea. I am a big fan of herbal teas. I would specifically recommend chamomile tea. And I would recommend uh, ginger tea as well. I would recommend mint tea. All of these can have, can have accommodative soothing effect on the psyche, but also on the stomach. You know, ginger can help settle your stomach. If if you're somebody who gets nauseous when you're stressed or who gets a tummy ache, herbal teas can be really helpful. Caffeine-free herbal teas can be wonderful. And there's something about the ritual of making the tea too. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, in Japanese culture, the, the tea ritual is 
formalized and 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 there are certain things that you do and it's it's quite beautiful to watch a formal tea ceremony and it's quite beautiful to experience drinking that tea so if you can create a kind of ritual for yourself around around making tea it doesn't have to be elaborate but you know laying out the spoon selecting the bag of tea or filling the um filling the diffuser i think it's called um with loose tea and waiting for it to boil and then picking out your favorite cup and pouring it in like all of that stuff you can make your own little ritual and that leads us to baths bathing can be a ritual i love taking baths i find them to be so soothing if you're in california don't do it because you don't have any you you have no you have no water so don't but uh you can take a short shower and make it into a ritual um, use, you know, get out, use, use, invest in some, some fancy organic hippie ass lavender soap. I had lavender mint tea the other day. It was awesome. If they could make that into a soap, which they probably have, I'd friggin' love it. Refreshing yet calming at the same time. Um, so, uh, and, and in the bathtub, sometimes you can light can light, light a candle, make it romantic. Damn it. Maybe you read in there. Maybe you just soak. Maybe you listen to music. Maybe you talk on the phone. Maybe that's how you get out. You chill out. Is chatting with a girlfriend on the phone or a guy friend or a genderqueer friend. That's fine too. Just don't drop your phone, you know, because I'd be weird. Anyway, Amanda, I hope you enjoyed those. <laughs> those are just some ways that I like to chill out. Mmm, coffee, delicious. So good. Mmm. Now, Let's move on. I, you know, I got a couple. Once I had a couple more questions. I mean, I got a lot of them, and I got a couple more. And I'm trying to decide right now: Do I want to go with like the really serious, intense one, or do I want to give that its own space? I think what I'm going to do is pick. Uh, I've actually got three more questions. We've got the the lighthearted. The medium serious and the very serious. I think I am going to give the very serious question its own space on the next episode. So this is episode 12. Um, Episode 13, Lucky 13, I think will be the one where we answer a a very serious question. Uh, and, And so stay tuned for that. And it has to do with uh, with issues of consent and sexuality. You know what? No, I'm going to talk about it right now. And I'll tell you why I'm going to talk about it right now. Because I've been thinking about this a lot because of the, the big scandal, um, which I'm sure some of you have heard about, with regard to Rolling Stone. That, you know, to put it in quite... I don't want to oversimplify what happened. Um, and somebody called me out on oversimplifying it on Twitter, which, big surprise, it's Twitter. But yeah, I did. So I'm going to try and explain it in brief without oversimplifying it. Essentially, there was a reporter from Rolling Stone who pursued a story at uh, at um, University of Virginia about a, a girl, a young woman, who claimed that she had been gang raped uh, at a fraternity party. And the reporter failed to push back enough. The fact checker failed to push back enough. The editor failed to push back enough. Everybody failed to put everybody from the top down, according to an independent review conducted by Columbia School of Journalism, everybody from the top down failed to push back. And 
the reason that they stated, the reasons they stated were that they didn't want to re-traumatize this individual. They didn't want to stress her out more than she already had been, hurt her more than she already had been, but that they wanted to use her story to talk about what they saw as a, a national um, heightened incidence, one might even call it an epidemic of campus sexual assault that had gone treat uh, that had gone unaddressed. Okay, so they good intentions, it seems, all round. But what happened was that these when the story was published, these discrepancies emerged. These there were things like she said that she had been at a frat party on a specific night and she gave a specific date and some folks checked checked it out and there there hadn't been like uh, I think the Washington Post is the first place that did really intense reporting on it. Maybe Politico did, but Washington Post I think is where it started to blow up. They research it and they find out, okay, there was no party by the frat that night. Well, okay, maybe she got it wrong. She claimed that there was a particular guy who was a member of the frat and he was a lifeguard and she met him because she was a lifeguard on campus too. And he was the one who instigated the rape. Well, you know, another researcher checks into it. There's no lifeguard from this particular fraternity that she had named. Um, Nobody from that fraternity had worked as a lifeguard. And nobody who was a lifeguard with her or or during that time had worked at the fraternity. There's all these different things adding up. She said that she had told some friends about it. And she, in fact, had. But the reporter for Rolling Stone didn't push hard enough to sit the friends down and talk to them. When the friends eventually were spoken to by the people who did the Columbia um, School of Journalism review thing, um, by these, I got by by. I think the dean of the school did it, wrote it, and I'm sure they had assistance from other folks. You know, they talked to the friends, and the friends were like, "Yeah, she did say that this happened, but but she said that it happened this way," or, "Oh, that conversation, we never had it." So there are all these discrepancies, and it's none of it proves that this girl was not sexually assaulted, right? So there's nothing that says no, but it does seem that she lied about details at least if not about the whole thing so one wonders about motivation and one wonders about all those things you know obviously this is perhaps a troubled individual i think it's fair to say you don't know the motivation for any of this stuff but let's set that aside so the responsibility was really on the shoulders of Rolling Stone to do their due diligence, to do research, to treat her with respect in the way that has been outlined as, as appropriate guidelines for dealing with with victims of trauma, survivors of trauma, um, for journalists, you know, behave ethically, but also check. So trust, but verify, I suppose would be how we put it. And Rolling Stone has officially retracted the story. Um, UVA's fraternity, this particular fraternity has said that it is going to sue Rolling Stone. Uh, No one is surprised by that. For a semester, at least, these guys were under question, under scrutiny. You know, 
it's hard to know what really happened. I have no idea what really happened. I bring this up, however, and I'm going to quote here from um, Pi Kappa Psi Fraternity. They um, said, and I'm quoting from BuzzFeed News, the writer, editor, and, and blank involved with, I don't know, the writer and editor involved with the journalistic and editorial process recklessly and without foundation or corroboration published a lurid and fictitious account that not only destroyed reputations, but more seriously undermined the credibility of all victims of sexual assault. A great deal of damage has been done without consequence to the perpetrators of this outrage. Uh, Rolling Stone claims that it is not going to fire anyone involved with the story. That speaks to, obviously, a shitty internal culture at Rolling Stone, in my opinion. I mean, come on. I don't want anybody to lose their job, but at least, you know, you know, put them on suspension for a minute. They say they've put some new practice, some new ethics, or excuse me, some new guidelines into practice to ensure this never happens again. Absolutely believe that. I'm sure that will happen. I love Rolling Stone. I always have. I think it's an amazing journalistic outlet. I mean, it's incredible writers working for them. And I'm not trying to... I don't think it's scapegoating to place blame where blame is due. We all make mistakes as journalists, as writers, as human beings, as, uh, as people who work in media. We all make mistakes. All of us do. Somebody misses a fact... There's a misquote. Something happens where a, a, a reporter just blindly accepts what's in their transcription. Kind of like that story I told earlier where, the report, you know, where I had the, the transcriber had said, I said, thank you, ma'am, when actually I said, thank you, man. It's minor, right? But in the context of that particular story that I was reporting, it, it was quite meaningful and very important. Now imagine if I had, the quote had been, not something where I looked like an asshole, but where my source looked like an asshole. And I hadn't gone to the tape to check it because I was tired or whatever, because it made a great quote, because it was exciting, because it was a juicy story that was going to achieve my end, my agenda. It's not bad to have an agenda. Everybody's got an agenda. My noble intentions were going to be honored by this quote. And it's the wrong quote. You know, I'm, everybody fucks up in reporting, in, in writing. And I can look at my book, Agora, fabulous. And I can see things that I would change now. Things that were insensitive, culturally insensitive. Um, things about gender. Things about, about sexuality. Different things that I would change just because I, I'm growing and changing all the time. And I wrote that um, in... 2010 and 2011 and guess what it's 2015 I've met more people I've had more life experience I've learned more things I like to think of a more caring compassionate individual so I'm not saying that these folks are evil at Rolling Stone but screwed up and you know there are some consequences for that and perhaps the consequences are simply happening in the public sphere. Perhaps the consequences are not going to happen um, at the magazine. And you know what? Maybe this is the first time any of these folks have fucked up. It's a big fuck up. 
but maybe it's the first time and maybe in the course of their careers you know what things happen but when we're talking about sexual assault it is incumbent upon us to have extra care both in how we speak to and about the survivors how we speak to and about the perpetrators and uh, how we how we the the words that we use to describe the event itself so with all that in mind i am going to try to be incredibly respectful in my response to the question that i got so gal wrote to me um let's call her samantha She said, I hung out with a guy with the intention of doing something crazy and hooking up, but then changed my mind after I got there. I didn't stop him from sleeping with me, even though I didn't want to. So is this rape or is it my fault? Samantha, I think that you are framing the question incorrectly. I don't think this is a black and white issue. It is not a, it's either it was rape and it's his fault or... It was totally fine, and it's your fault for doing it. There's, I'm not, I don't place fault on you for anything. What we're going to talk about is consent, and we're going to talk about the fact that I don't have enough details to make a judgment call. Details and context are extraordinarily important at all times, but particularly in cases involving sexual assault. And I will say again about the Rolling Stone piece, that's part of the issue was that the reporter didn't pursue details in the way that she could have or perhaps should have. Or the editors didn't pursue details. The fact checker, perhaps. I just know from reading the, I know what I know from reading the Columbia School of Journalism report. I don't have inside knowledge on this. So what I'm going to attempt to do is to not make a judgment call on this subject, Samantha, on your question. And I know that's disappointing because you wanted a ruling, like a Judge, a, a judge Solomon ruling. Um, and, and, and that is not what I'm going to give you. What I'm going to do is ask some questions. Did you at any time communicate to him the fact that you didn't want to have sex with him? No, that doesn't mean necessarily saying no. It doesn't necessarily mean saying no, get off of me. I do not want to have sex with you. There are other ways to communicate no. Did you attempt to walk away from him? Did you, you know, pull away from him in any way? Did you say anything like, "Uh, maybe we shouldn't do this right now? Anything like that. I'm asking you these questions because... It's important to remember as best as you can what happened. I know memory is foggy. And by the way, I'm not saying you were or were not assaulted because, again, I do not have the answers. I don't know. Because, first of all, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a judge. I'm not a jury. I'm not an executioner. I'm not any of those things. What concerns me more is the phrasing here. 
I didn't stop him from sleeping with me even though I didn't want to. That's what struck me the most. I mean, then you go, so is this rape or is it my fault? Well, then those are big words that jump out at me and freak me out. But right before, I think the crux of this question is, I didn't stop him from sleeping with me even though I didn't want to. That's interesting to me. That's of concern. First, let's look at I didn't stop him. Look, sometimes you can't stop people who are bigger than you, who are stronger than you, who are, have more presence of mind because they've been drinking less than you. It's not on you to stop someone from attacking you. It's not on you. We put that on girls a lot, right? Well, she wore this outfit. If she didn't walk down that street, or you can't talk to guys in this way, you can't sex with guys, you can't cheat, you can't do this, you can't do that, because then people will think you want to be assaulted. No, that's crazy talk, but people say it all the time. They imply it all the time. So let's not, let's not frame it that way. It's not your job to stop somebody, you know, from overpowering you and attacking you. It just, that doesn't make sense. You phrase it the way, he, him sleeping with me. So it's not, you're not active in this situation at all. And also it's interesting that you use the term sleeping with. That's sort of a rather tame term for what actually happened. Even though I didn't want to. I didn't stop him from sleeping with me even though I didn't want to. Okay. Okay. Was this a situation, I'm going to ask you some more questions, and these are not for you to answer to me personally, Samantha, or for anyone to answer. It is for you to think about and talk to a counselor about, because I do think that's highly necessary in this situation to talk to a therapist and talk about this issue, specifically someone who deals with sex, sexuality, and anything to do with consent, anything to do with sexual assault and trauma. Um and I'm going to give you a resource for that in, in just a moment, actually. You didn't want to. That is the single most important thing here. You didn't want to. I don't know if you consented or not. I don't know, because I have no evidence here. I can't say. I don't know if you said yes. Maybe you said yes and you didn't want to. Maybe you said no. Maybe you kicked him and fought in that dramatic way we see on TV, right? Or maybe it was more subtle like it is for most of us. Maybe you just kind of slept with him because you thought, all right, this will get him to stop bothering me. Or this is just what I should do. You know, I, I'm here, so I must do this. Well, I, I, I built him up for it, so I have to deliver. I like him. I want him to like me. This is so embarrassing. Let's just get this over with. If any of that rings a bell, you know what I'm talking about. You didn't want to. You didn't want to. But it happened. So what I'm wondering here is if um, 
This was a very private, I didn't want to, that was not communicated to him, or if this was communicated to him, or if you were not in a position to communicate it to him. Consent goes out the window when you're fucked up. If you're, you know, if he's drunk too, doesn't matter. If you were not in a state of mind where you were able to consent, that to me is, and I'm uh, really trying not to make a a huge judgment call here because I don't know the situation, but if somebody is not in a position where they are able to consent to sex, that to me is an assault. I don't know the law. I don't know the law in your state. I'm not trying to give you legal advice here. But, and I'm not just talking about vaginal penetration here either. I'm talking about any kind of sexual contact that occurs when the participant or recipient or victim or survivor, or however you want to say it, is unable to consent. That's not, a, that's not an active participant. So, this is a really complex issue that you've raised. It's just a few lines. It's one, two, three, four lines. I hung out with a guy with the intention of doing something crazy and hooking up, but then changed my mind after I got there. I didn't stop him from sleeping with me, even though I didn't want to. So is this rape or is it my fault? This is a really loaded question. And so what I'm going to recommend to you is that you go to RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N.org. That's the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It was started by a bunch of folks, including but not limited to the, the famous musician Tori Amos. They have a national sexual assault hotline, if you want. You can call. If you'd prefer to call, it's 1-800-656-HOPE. It's 1-800-656-HOPE. There is a Spanish-language online hotline that you can click on. There is the English-language online hotline. They can connect you with resources near you. They can just talk to you and listen. If you do some research, you will find that there are a lot of really great resources out there in the online world. April as it happens, has been honored by Congress as the Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. This is a really uh, important issue for the world at large, in our society, for men, for women, for genderqueer individuals who are overwhelmingly targeted for this type of thing. And for you personally, Samantha, It's not as easy as me telling you were you raped or not. It's not that simple. And I don't think that, I don't want you to move forward with that question in your mind. Well, specifically with the question, was I raped or was it my fault? No, nothing in this situation is your fault. I'm not placing fault here. Let's throw blame out the window right now. Although we may need to place it on him. I don't know, because I don't know enough. What needs to happen is for you to get some help, 
to talk to a counselor if you're in I don't know if you're in school or what but you know talk to a counselor at school um you can find in the get help drop down menu on rainn.org rape abuse and incest national network.org you've got the national sexual assault hotline the online hotline find a local counseling center help a loved one learn more about sexual assault international resources they've even got something specifically for the military because there is a true epidemic of sexual assault in the military i've done some reporting on it before um and then you know of course the spanish language version stuff uh, just so you know an average of 207,754 Americans age 12 or older are victims of sexual violence each year. So if ultimately you decide, because I believe it's going to be, you know, it's up to you to decide how you proceed. And I'm not talking about legally. I'm not talking about courts. I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm talking about you. It, a lot of this is about you coming to understand what happened, how it happened, and how you want to move forward. Just know that you are not alone in the journey of figuring this out. Not by a long shot. There is a section in uh, the Get Info section on RAIN, R-A-I, R-A-I-N-N.org. Um, there's a section called Get Info. And I'm looking right here at Was I Sexually Assaulted? Was I raped? How can you figure out if what happened was rape? There are a few questions to consider. Check it out. Go. See what you think. Are the participants old enough to consent? Do both people have the capacity to consent? Did both participants agree to take part? Here's one that makes me think of you. With the little information I have, I didn't resist physically. Does that mean it isn't rape? The response is this. People respond to an assault in different ways. Just because you didn't resist physically doesn't mean it wasn't rape. In fact, many victims make the good judgment that physical resistance would cause the attacker to become more violent. Lack of consent can be express, saying no, or it can be implied from the circumstances. For example, if you were under the statutory age of consent, or if you had a mental defect, or if you were, I, I object to that language, but okay, or if you were afraid to object because the perpetrator threatened you with serious physical injury. Those are just some examples. I trust Rain. I've referred a lot of people to Rain. It is a, a fantastic charity. It is a clearinghouse for so much information. Go there and see what you think. And if you are moved to actually reach out to someone there, reach out to them. That's my advice. I know that's heavy. And I also know, Samantha, that perhaps that isn't what you were looking for, because you were looking for, I think, um, a more clear answer on yes or no. Was this rape or was this not? But I can't give you that. And it would be disingenuous for me to pretend that I could. So I'm not going to pretend. When you give advice for a living, <laughs> I, I do a lot of things for a living, but advice giving is one of the things that I do for a living. You have to be willing to say when something is above your pay grade. 
You have to be willing to say, you know what? There are people who are better equipped to talk about this than I am. You have to be willing to admit that you're imperfect. I do not like to read advice columns or listen to anything that involves someone who thinks he or she or they are better than everybody else. Like, no. Get off your high horse and shut up. I am interested in real, flawed, honest, imperfect individuals giving the best advice they can give. And that is what I seek to do here every week on the Kepler on Campus advice segment and on the show. So, Samantha, I wish you the best of luck. Go to Rain. If you need to visit a local women's crisis center, domestic violence center, sexual assault center, go. Doesn't matter if you're thinking to yourself, well, I wasn't really raped. That's fine. Think that. Just go. Just go and talk. Just go and talk and see what folks have to say. No one, uh, unless you are a, a child, no one has the right to take your story and pursue anything in terms of, you know, in terms of going to the cops or anything like that. No one has the right to do that except you. So it sounds like you were in a situation where power was taken from you. You felt or power was out of your hands. Now you have some power in your hands. So you decide what you want to do with that. I really strongly recommend that you use it to dial a hotline, to do some research online uh, via RAIN, to email with a counselor or outreach person there. But I do wish you the best of luck. And I thank you for writing to me. That is an honor and a sacred trust. And I, I am truly, truly touched by it. And uh, I thank you so much for that. All right. Well, 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 we've come to the end of the program. Episode 12. It's been a doozy. I've enjoyed this one. I love talking to people. I mean, I, I, I like this podcast a lot because I get to talk to people. I, it makes me less lonely in the world. And I get to talk to you guys on Patreon, patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa. I get to get in touch with you. I get to learn more about you, hear what you're into, all that jazz. And now we're at the end. <laughs> and I know how to, cl- how to end it when I am interviewing someone, but it's a little different when I'm just chatting, doing advice only. Um, this is interesting. This is fun, uh, sad, poignant, good, hopefully helpful, funny in parts, serious in other parts. That's my review of what just happened, everyone. Just in case anyone was wondering how I felt about it. Uh, go to patreon.com slash Sarah Benincasa for fun things. And if you want to, you know, become a, a patron, it can be for as little as a dollar a month. It's, it's incredibly appreciated. Um, and I also want to acknowledge Kepler, of course, for Kepler on Campus advice segment, which is really great. But you don't have to donate 100 bucks. You can donate $1. You won't get a segment named after you, but you'll get other things. Email me thoughts, 
concerns, comments, etc. Sarah at sarahbenincasa.com. Tweet at me at Sarah J. Benincasa. Follow me on Instagram at Sarah J. Benincasa. Go to sarahbenincasa.tumblr.com and ask me anything you like. I thank you so much for your time, you guys. And uh, I hope you have an absolute wonderful and fantastic day. Bye-bye.